All right, hey, and welcome to episode 20 of We Can Do This. That's right, two zero. This is the 20th episode of the podcast, and I can't believe we've hit 20 so far. This has been a real joy to host this podcast, and we're just getting started. So this week, I'm excited to talk to Stephen Johnson. Stephen is the founder of Chive, a platform to discover charities and ways to give in New Zealand. So on this episode, we talk about what motivated him to start Chive, how he co-founded this enterprise with his wife and what it's like to run an organization together. And we talk about the stack of tools that has enabled him to build out this platform utilizing no-code tools. So we have a really great time talking. So let's jump into this conversation with Steven Johnson. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm here with Steven Johnson. Steven is the founder of Chive, a platform to find charities in New Zealand built entirely on no-code. Steven is a no-code builder interested in exploring how these tools can be used for philanthropy and social impact. Prior to Chive, Steven worked international development for Oxfam and the British Council based in the UK. Steven, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean, thanks for having us and grateful for the community you're bringing together with this pod. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. I discovered you on the internet, <laughs> um, I believe originally in the video with Connor Finlayson, who's a, a good friend of yours, and I know he's involved with Chive, right? And heard about what you're doing, saw that you were building uh, no-code tools and visual development platforms, and was really excited to see what you're doing. So I'm excited you're here. Yeah, let's jump right in. I'm really curious to hear, like, prior to launching Chive, what were you up to? I know you are connected, right, in New Zealand, but I believe you're pretty close to me, right, in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm actually currently based uh, in Brooklyn, so you might get a bit of um, sirens and background noise. Um, yeah. But yeah, that. prior to, yeah, we, we only, my wife and I, Alice, we only recently moved here two months ago, so... Cool. Prior to Chive, I was based in the UK. As you said, I was working in international development. I studied politics. So all my work has been in, or at least personally, I've thought, how can I do the most good with the time I have through my work? And so that took me into, yeah, working for Oxfam. I wrote proposals for them and helped them win funding. And then with the British Council, I worked with social enterprises all across the world. And that took me some great places and I actually met my wife through that work as well. So yeah, that was my background before going into Chive and I had no experience of no code. I'd worked with social entrepreneurs and impactful businesses, but never seen these tools in action in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it that originally kind of turned you on to no code then? Yeah. When we um, were first ideating Chive, I think an important value for us was that we were able to bootstrap it. We knew the dynamic and especially my background in funding. Sometimes there can be dynamics between funders and creators and we wanted to have full ownership of our project to be able to steer the direction. And so, yeah, bootstrapping affords you that. But with that, you need an option that's affordable and manageable over the long term. And so, yeah, no code really stood out as an option where we could build and test an MVP and have full ownership over the tool and understanding of how to build new features, update content, 
and inform our users and manage our whole system without having to bring on a team of developers um, and keep it relatively low cost. So yeah, I think that's what appealed at the start. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And I think there's probably a lot more people like you who are, you know, when they're starting something, they want to retain this ownership. And also, if they're aspiring to do something that is conscious, ethical, really being able to make those decisions without the outside capital or investment is really desirable for people. So it's really cool to hear that's kind of how you stumbled into it is how do I make this my own? So tell us about how you and your wife, Alice, correct? Yeah. How did this idea of Chive originally stir up with it between you two? Yeah, I have to give full credit to Alice because she initiated this idea and she's a great initiator. Maybe three or four years ago, Alice had seen that they're in, in New Zealand. New Zealand has one of the highest proportion of charities to people in any country in the world. Mm. So there's 5 million people and there's just under 28,000 charities wow. for those people. And a lot of them are very difficult to find online. A lot of them have limited digital presence and that's due to a variety of reasons from lack of funding to skills that are available. Yeah, there's a whole pool of reasons why it's difficult to increase your presence. And when you've got you know, 28,000 charities competing for space. Yeah, it's challenging for them to be found online. Mm-hmm. And as at the moment, digital giving is increasing, but the diversity of those charities is decreasing. So mm-hmm. if you type in environmental charity or poverty charity or any of the things that you care about, you will often find the same results coming up if you use Google, for example. Mm-hmm. So that was the opportunity. And yeah, Alice initiated this with a project called the Good Portal, and it basically took an open API of all the charities in New Zealand and converted it to make it a bit more accessible. And that was a great start. And yeah, then COVID a few years later, unfortunately, you know, COVID happened. We were both in the UK and I decided to pack up my life and move to New Zealand with Alice and got out of the UK. And that was quite a pretty crazy experience at the time. And we both found ourselves yeah, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And Alice said, I've got this project. I'd quit my job, so I had some time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'd like to have a look at it and see where we can go with it. And that's how it started to develop from just a simple landing page to a more advanced um, product and experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was the that was the initiator. And I think just another thing is that there's there's two sides of the platform, right? That on the one hand, we have charities looking to boost their presence. But I think more importantly, now it's for us more about empowering people to feel ownership over their giving strategy mm-hmm. and how they want to create an impact in the world. You know, we live in a time where we have a climate crisis going on and there are many different areas of life where social justice is needed mm-hmm. and people want to support. And that's amazing. And it can be confusing to know where is best to support or where best to put your money or time or resources or skills. So yeah, I think Chive is existing to empower people to feel responsible and engaged with the social change they want to make. And that's a really long-term thing. So that spark's still there. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that you're helping empower people to make good decisions when it comes to their own generosity. Because a lot of times when we try to be generous or we try to help, sometimes we either aren't helping in the best way or we might be doing some harm, right? So this education peace and helping really guide people is really, really important. Tell us a little bit as you were building out this idea and you had made this decision that we're going to bootstrap this platform. What were some of the 
functionality or features that we were looking to implement. And could you share with us a little bit about maybe the stack of tools that allowed you to build the platform? Yeah, sure. I think what was important for us, as you said, you know, Connor's a good friend of ours and he helped us build it at the start. And Mm -hmm. we went in wanting every feature under the sun, you know, and I think (laughs) a lot of people who start, you know, platforms, MVPs want that. And yeah, in hindsight, yeah, we didn't. What we ended up with was actually perfect because it had half of what we needed Mm -hmm. um, or wanted, sorry. So I think what was important for us is that we had a searchable platform so that you could go in and search and that we had a way in which we could profile charities that didn't discriminate between big or small charities so Mm -hmm. that you would have a standardized profile and that that profile would give each charity a means of accessibility to them. So whether it's to be able to donate to them, whether it's to be able to follow them on Twitter or Facebook or the way in which they tell their story. Mm -hmm. So that was really important. And with that, the CMS management comes in to be crucial to that. One of the things that we were concerned with was there's different charity types and the language that we use can create the charity in a certain way, right? So one person's education charity is another person's youth charity. Mm -hmm. So we wanted a way in which charities could self-identify what types of charity they are so that they could show up for people who've got different interpretations of who that charity is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a a CMS that's somewhat dynamic. And then on that as a back end, an easy way to manage and create profiles. So that was the kind of, and and the last thing was a a membership portal so that any charity can access Chai for free. And we were running paid plans and we're, we're planning to phase those out over the next period. But at the time, it was important that we had a membership stack as well. So we built the platform with Airtable as a backend. Mm-hmm. And then we use Zapier and or Zapier, as people call it here, <laughs> and Parabola as the kind of thread. Yeah. And we have Webflow as the front end. And then member stack is our uh, memberships. And for the search, I think the tool I'm most or I always rave about is JetBoost yeah. uh, for our search filtering. So yeah, that's our stack that we're working on. Awesome. I'll, I'll include some of those links in the show notes for if anyone's curious about some of those tools as you're talking about the, what you're able to do with them. Very cool. You're kind of sharing this stack of tools, many of which are really fundamental to this kind of two-sided marketplace idea that you've really built out where um, you're serving your audience, but you also have the organizations that are featured in your platform able to also access the, the platform. Really, really cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. As you've built out this platform and you can go into the platform if you want, or just the general running the startup that you're running with your wife, what were some of the challenges that you faced, you know, since you've started working on this and as you've been building it out? I would say the, the first challenge, I think, you know, now it's a bit different, but at the start, it's, is how do you get the ball rolling? You can mm-hmm. build a, I think the, the advantage of these no-code tools is that you can build awesome swift products. In a very short period of time but they don't actually like sell themselves <laughs> you have to get out there <laughs> yeah. and enroll people and yeah as great as they are designed they will not get on calls for you they won't sell products to you and you can have all these amazing workflows but actually it's easier to just have a basic mvp and listen to what for us what the charities are most struggling with and how we can support them and at first that was quite intimidating i think the idea of jumping on calls with charity CEOs and trying to sell them something. And especially, you know, within the context of the space, you you feel like A, imposter syndrome, and B, these are charities. I don't know why they should be giving me money, you know, when they mm-hmm. could be putting it towards the impact of their cause. 
but that's just the story. You know, actually, we, we do support them in an incredible way, and they're all wonderful people. And so that was a real challenge. And we did a lot of work on our mindset to get over that. And I found that the biggest shift for us in terms of a platform that, you know, in the last year, I've spoken to over maybe 150 or so charity wow. CEOs and asking them all the same things, you know, you know, what's your story? And what's your biggest problem? And how can we support you to solve that big problem? And that's been a game changer. So that's been a challenge. I think I should also add that the no-code tools themselves, they're, they're somewhat understandable, but I, I feel there is a steep learning curve in some respect. If you want those more advanced features and if you want to have full ownership of it, there is a need for, and that's why I'm really grateful for Connor because he helped us kind of build it, teach us, and then now we just kind of run with our own thing. And so I think there's a really interesting space there in terms of mentorship and learning of these tools to create social change. So we're a year in now and I feel it's probably the only point where I've been like fully comfortable with the tools, you know, sometimes yeah. I've been in parabola, like, oh, if <laughs> I touch this button, I'm going to you know, delete a load of profiles. Yeah. So, so that's been another big learning. It's just, and with that being patient, just being patient with it. So that's been another big learning. Yeah, that's super interesting because as a founder who has their hands really involved in the product, some great advantages of that in some ways, right? Because like you said, you're able to take control of what you're building and having your hands in the tool set, you really understand what's possible, what's not possible, right? And there's a lot of things that come along with that. But yeah, I mean, I imagine if you were not building the, the product yourself and you had a team of people out doing it, then of course you'd have time, right? You, you have more time to spend in front of people. So I definitely see how it sounds like you, you're managing hey, we have to build this thing, grow it, make sure it's running every day. <laughs> yeah. As well as how do I jump on the phone this year with 150 charity CEOs and really get to understand them? So there's a, a unique challenge, but also I see a lot of benefits to that too. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, that you've got to be a Swiss army knife, right? And mm -hmm. that actually, I think it's easy to think that you can grow your platform by just building more features. And that's not true. You can right. build your platform by enrolling more people and understanding their problems. So yeah, that's a challenge that I still deal with. Like I sometimes think, oh yeah, if we just had, you know, this nice automation, then yeah, it'd be a <laughs> platform and it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. The idea that if you build it, they will come. Some um, <laughs> yeah. In some ways I, I see it all the time where people, you know, invest a lot of time and energy into building something and then are discouraged when they don't see it immediately take off. And mm. Just because you have something really beautiful and functional doesn't mean people are going to come, you know, in droves and, and start flocking to it. It does really require the a little bit of that SWAC equity work to to get in front of people. And then you get to understand what their problems are and make sure these things are really aligned. Right. Mm -hmm. I love it. So you've shared that, you know, prior to building out the platform, you were kind of in this ideation stage with your wife deciding on what is this idea? What is this platform that we're going to build? How are we going to? build out really our business structure with this. For listeners who may be in that stage right now, what are some of the kind of things that they should be doing or thinking about as it pertains to building out their platform? Yeah, this is this is key, I think. And we actually, I almost forget it, but we spent three months ideating on this. Mm -hmm. And by ideating, I mean doing research to understand what the problem is mm -hmm. and how we can solve it. And we use research methods. Again, I don't have a background in research, but 
my understanding was if I just ask the people who we're trying to serve what it is that they're struggling with or need, and we find a commonality, then we yeah. can build a solution. So they'll actually tell did, you. Yeah, they'll actually <laughs> tell you. So what we did, we actually, we ran a survey for givers and we said we'd donate a dollar or a couple of dollars to a charity if they did the survey. And we got 125 people respond to that, which wow. was awesome. And that gave us great feedback. And the clear thing was, was that people were very generous and that they aren't sure where to put their money best. And so that was clear for us. And then the other thing we did was we spoke to 20 charities and we just asked them, we're, you know, again, not telling them what it is that we're building, but asking their problems first and giving a sense of what's on top of their minds and thinking, how is it that we can build something that responds to that? And I think there's a temptation there when you're ideating to tell people about your solution mm -hmm. before hearing what people's problems yeah. are and how you're addressing those. Yeah. So yeah, we spent a lot of time doing that. We actually like, <laughs> I had a fair bit of time in my hands because we were in lockdown. And so like, I wrote a report as well, covering primary and secondary research in the sector that wow. we're work working with in terms yeah. of fundraising trends, the future of fundraising, what people are saying about digital giving. And yeah, I've got like a fully fledged report. It's just like in Google Drive. <laughs> I oh, to say, yeah. Maybe I should put it somewhere. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that spend your time working out what the problem is, you know, doing quantitative research, qualitative research, interviews. That's like where the kind of gold dust is. And actually, when we talked about, you know, the, the decision to bootstrap and invest in this ourselves, we were only able to do that because we had that three months of hmm. research and clear, solid understanding of what it is that we're working on. When you don't have that, you, you come from like a scarcity mindset where you just think that, oh, if I get somebody to give me hundreds of thousands of dollars, then I can go away and work this out. And that may be true in some cases. I appreciate the way in which we did it. And there, there are things that we could have done better. But yeah, I, that's my advice is that just take the time to do your research before rushing in and building something. And I still battle that today. I still want to just build stuff. Now I know the tools yeah. even more. I'm just like, yeah. let's just build another thing. Yeah, good research. Yeah, that's so important. I know probably a lot of us listening to that, it sounds like a really good in theory. Is there any tips maybe you can give us to when you were in that research phase, like how did you find a hundred people that were willing to talk to you or however, I think you said, you know, 20 nonprofit leaders and you had a certain amount of people of your primary audience. Mm. Where did you kind of find those people and know what to ask them? I think for the questionnaire, we were quite lucky because Alice is, I mean, New Zealand's got like two degrees of separation, right? It's like it's <laughs> 5 million people. So you yeah. just like ask a friend of a friend and then they fill it out. So it might be a bit of a different context for your global listeners. I think one tool I found really useful for reaching out to emails is a tool called Hunter. And you can basically just go on somebody's website and find their email. And mm -hmm. what we did was we just set up an email flow of being like, hi, we've got this idea for this platform. We would love to chat to you as a leader in this space. Book a call here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, huge fear of like rejection comes up. You don't know what they're going to say. You're worried they're going to think you're stupid. And people book calls, like people yeah. just click the link. And then next thing you know, you're speaking to them. And I think my advice in that as well is like, have set questions you want to ask, have set things that you're wanting to find out, figure it out what it is you want to find out. And then, yeah, just start emailing people. And there's a correlation between how many people you email and how many people speak to you. 
so yeah and i guess that uh, you know it sounds i understand why that could be you know i was definitely there like that it was frightening yeah. at first i was like i really don't know how i feel about speaking to these people but, yeah i bet yeah. that's that's really helpful especially i know on the outset right you probably have this level of imposter syndrome too where you're like who is going to jump on the phone with me things <laughs> questions that they actually care about and i think to maybe are surprised people like talking about themselves and they like trying to come up with ideas that might be solutions to those problems. Like you said, there's a correlation between the amount of people you reach out and the amount of people that will respond and you'll probably be surprised, right? With yep. the amount that do. Awesome. Very, very helpful. Personally, I'm curious. I think probably a lot of people in the audience and people who are listening are going to be curious about too, is you're building out Chive with your wife, right? And so I imagine that there's probably some challenges and advantages to that as well, too. I, I know personally, you know, I've thought about working on projects with just friends and close family. And when you're working with family, there's a dynamic, right? And when you're working with friends that you have a strong, maybe personal connection to prior to getting started, and then a working relationship might <laughs> shake that up a little bit. I'm curious, how has that experience been for you and Alice? And uh, is there any thing that you would, I don't know, any uh, suggestions for when looking for maybe a co-founder or someone to work on a team or project with? What are some things to think about? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, Alice, my wife, she's epic. I love working with <laughs> Alice. And it's all, obviously not all sunshine and roses. Yeah. I think one thing we found really important is being very honest with how we're feeling about business and how we're feeling. I think we, we put a big emphasis on being completely vulnerable with each other and saying, this is how we're feeling about the business. This is our, my experience with it. So yeah, we do like emotional check-ins, like at the start of the day, before we talk about or work on Chive. And actually the times that we've struggled the most on Chive is when we haven't spoke to each other about how it's making us feel. And then what happens is, is it plays out in the rest of your day. So like yeah. when you're cooking the dinner or when you're like <laughs> loading the dishwasher, you know, yeah. it plays out into those other areas. So I think there's a, uh, value in creating space for talking about how you feel about what you're working on and i do see that in a lot of in a lot of business places and especially startups that vulnerability isn't valued or created or modeled in the design process it's just about how are we going to deliver solutions who's going to do it and when as yeah. opposed to like how are the people who are actually working on this feeling and so yeah my advice is that or yeah my experience is that doing that with somebody that you love that is paramount before anything else but and i think the second thing of that as well is that alice and i are completely and this is taken to mindset work is that alice and i are completely detached from chai like we don't put our value on how chai does and we're not we don't see it as our like life's work mm -hmm. that this will be the thing that like makes us you know like the next zuckerberg or larry page or whoever it is you know like it's just yeah. something that we're contributing and that if somebody else took this over it would be just as wonderful and I think when you work in a family or a relationship, your identity can come quite tightly bound to it, especially if it's like, you know, a simple example would be a family restaurant, right? And it's got your family's name on it, or you right. started something like that. That's when it does become your identity. Yeah. So yeah, having that separation, I think if you're working in a relationship, I have found really, really empowering. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's my advice. Probably the last thing is that you need to know what you're not great at hmm. you know if you're going to work in you know and that's again when you found something and i think this might be specific 
or even more nuanced in the no-code space that you can actually do things alone. And that has its advantages and its um, disadvantages. And mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'll do the marketing, I'll do the social media, yeah. I'll do these new features, I'll prospect clients, yada, yada. And when you're in a relationship and running a business with someone, that doesn't work. You need to have open and honest communication about who's good at what and how you're going to do it. And if you're not enrolling your partner or your family in what they're good at and how they can contribute, it will come to the detriment of your business. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's another key learning I've had from running this with Alice. Yeah. Awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah, it sounds like when you have that open dialogue, healthy conversation, really including each other in every aspect as appropriate, it sounds like there's a lot, a lot of power in that. Well, cool. Well, this has been really fun. I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast and joining us for the, this conversation. Is there anything else you want to share before we close up? And if people want to find you, learn about Chive, connect with you and Alice, where can they do that? Yeah, sure. I think, I think one thing I'm interested in, in building at the moment is this space of no code in socially impactful businesses and mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. So yeah, I'm keen to build and develop that and then that's something I'm curious about. And if anybody's working on a project of that mind where their business has got some level of social orientation and they're ideating, then yeah, do reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. Stephen George J is my app. I was too late to getting a decent <laughs> <laughs> tag. So that's where you'll find me. Or just jump onto Chive. It's chivecharities.nz. All of our contact details there. And we're always, 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 always happy to chat to people about the change they're making and how we can support them. And yeah, if you don't want to talk to me and talk to Alice, do talk to her as well. She's equally as <laughs> probably more interesting, actually. So yeah, yeah, do reach out to her as well. You can find her on Chive as well. Just go on about section. Awesome. I love it. I'll uh, definitely include all the links that you just shared so people can jump on, uh, follow you, look at Chive, especially if you're in the sphere of, especially this two-sided marketplace concept or building out a web platform with no-code tools, just definitely check out Chive's websites really beautiful website um, definitely be inspiring if you're looking at need some inspiration so awesome well hey thank you so much for joining us for the podcast it's been awesome. great all right great episode with steven it was a really fun time talking with him and I just love kind of the heart he has to connect people with organizations that matter and not only to connect them in a way to give and support, but I love that he's really conscious that there are ways that we can help and there's ways that we can feel like we're helping that isn't being very helpful. So I'm just really grateful for the work that he's doing. And I love talking about the tool set that's really enabled him to build out Chive, build out this platform, utilizing no-code tools. So thanks for listening to this episode. And before you exit out of your podcast app, it would be really great if you would hop onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'd love to hear about, I'd love to hear who out there is listening and finding value in these episodes because we want to continue creating more value and growing this podcast. So definitely, definitely encourage you to leave a review. And thanks again for listening to this podcast. And I will see you next week.